Well, we're beginning a series that, uh, that we're calling Series from Lockdown. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to make some stops along the way at some really cool truths. And one thing as I began to study through this book, I found out everybody and their mother, their dog, their brother, and their sister have been preaching on Philippians uh, recently. Pastor Chris just finished a series. My brother-in-law just finished a series. And as I'm reading through, I'm like, man, Philippians is packed with some of the most incredible New Testament scriptures that, that many of us have memorized. So we're going to take a look at some of those. We're not going to get through all of it because it's me that we're talking about, but we are going to get through some of it, all right? Now, if pastor was preaching today, y'all would get like 10 incredible quick hit nuggets. To me, you get three, all right? Um, before we begin, I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, here's some really cool information about the book of Philippians. Well, first of all, um, Philippians was the first church plant in all of Europe, and the church planters uh, were Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. How many of you would like to have some church planters uh, with these guys' names in it? Um, it was planted in a city called Philippi. Um, the letter to the Philippian church was written while Paul was in prison, hence the reason for our title. Um, this church was a very special church to Paul. Um, this church didn't give Paul a lot of pains and groans and frustrations, maybe like Galatians did or Colossians, but this was a church that was very dear to his heart. Uh, while he was in prison, this church cared for him, and they sent care packages and financial help to him. So he had a special place in his heart for the church of Philippians. I think if they had a mission statement, it might be caring people, caring for people. Come on, somebody. Uh, you can see his gratitude for this people um, all throughout the book and how he cared and how they cared for him. Uh, during the time that this letter was sent, I think it's really interesting to note that most people didn't read during this time in history. So what would happen when a letter would get written and sent to a group of people, oftentimes the person who delivered the letter would read it to everybody so that everybody could hear and understand. This letter was delivered by a man named Epaphroditus. Now, if you disagree with how I'm saying that name, I'm telling you, I went to one of the greatest sources of all sources to know how to say this Bible name. Anybody struggle reading Bible names sometimes? So I went to the YouVersion Bible app. I scrolled down to this part in Philippians, and I hit play, and I wait to hear how that man read this name. And I'm like, that must be it, Epaphroditus. So, you know, if you're looking for tips on how to say names of the Bible that look difficult, that's a, that's a little tip for you. Um, let's see here. Um, this church also uh, was... Uh, 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 was launched during uh, the reign of Rome. And so uh, during this time, uh, while Paul was in prison in Rome, Epaphroditus took uh, uh, care packages to him. He was one of the representatives of the church and brought financial help to him. And he got a little sick while he was there. And so Paul had written a letter and was going to give it back to Epaphroditus to take back to the church to read to them. And so this church was delayed due to this man's sickness. Now, I don't know about you, but this was one of those letters that was like a long-awaited letter because of this man who got sick. Anybody ever had like a long-awaited letter? You know, you're like waiting for your man to write you from wherever your man is at. Um, you know, you're waiting for the soldier's letter to come. You're waiting for your pen pal's letter to come. Or maybe it's kind of like waiting on that delayed package from Amazon. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now you feel the anguish with me. You're like, where is that package? It says it's 10 stops away. 
Epaphroditus, get on it, baby. Get on that donkey. Slap that donkey. Slap that horse. Let's get this letter. Come on, we're waiting. So in the city of Philippi, let's talk about the city real quick. It was a Roman provident city. So what is so important about that? Well, here's what's so important about that. Rome had a really strong influence in this city. Um, This city is said to be full of retired Roman soldiers, which means that these men were patriots of the Roman government. So how many of you know that the Roman government and the New Testament church were not friends? So that makes this city a dangerous place to go and plant a church. But how many of you know that Paul wasn't really worried about planting churches in dangerous places? So he planted a church right in this place. Um, we know that in the book of Acts that the church during this era was growing in numbers. Um, so we know that the church was a threat to the Roman government. And we know that as numbers grow uh, in societies, when you have large groups of people and you believe the same thing, it becomes a threat to the Roman rule. And that's exactly what was happening in this day and in this time. And so because of this, uh, Paul uh, and this church and all of the new believers of Jesus, they face a lot of resistance when it came to being followers of Jesus. Now, there's a little bit of context for you. If you have your Bibles, open them to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 1. And while you're opening there, um, we're going to just fly by the first five verses, actually. That's all we're going to get through this morning. And we're going to touch on some uh, really cool truths that we see in God's Word. Are you ready to read? I said, are you ready to read? Come on online, send some fire, send us some uh, eyeglasses, send us some reading glasses, send us some studious books so we know that you're ready to read with us right now. That's how you got to do it online, y'all. That's how you got to talk back. Here's what it says. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders, overseers, bishops, and deacons. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul's thanksgiving and prayer to the church sounded like this. Every time I think about you, I uh, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Someone say joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word penetrates hearts. We thank you that your word transforms and changes hearts. So, God, we lean on you today. and We can't wait. We, we sit here with uh, hope and with expectation on what you're going to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. amen. Somebody give little praying hands online. That's, that's how we hear them. I need somebody to monitor what's going on online right now, and I just need you to give me a thumbs up if they're doing all right, okay? Okay, Chris says they're doing good. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. I want us to take a look at the end of verse number four, and I want us to notice the word joy. Someone say joy. joy. Someone shout joy. joy. Okay, I'm like ADD, so I don't do really good when things are kind of quiet. The Greek word joy here is the word, uh, it's the word kara. Now, this word kara is a really deep word. It means joy. <laughs> I need to put some little sound effects up here when y'all don't laugh at my jokes and I just hit, hit the audience laugh sounds. <laughs> uh, it also means delight. And here's another cool thing about this word joy. It actually means this. And not just joy standing alone, but 
uh, a source of joy. So as we take a look at this word, what is Paul saying? Um, This word, Paul is saying that my joy is spurred on from something. It's not just sitting there present all alone, although we always have joy in Christ, but I have this special joy from something. And so what is Paul doing as we take a look at the context? Paul is praying and he's thanking God. And so Paul is saying, hey, as I pray and thank God for you, that is my source of joy. So what is Paul saying to you and I as we read? And what can we possibly learn as we're reading from the book of Philippians this morning? Number one, we can know this, that Paul would be telling us thankfulness brings joy. If you want joy, let out your words of thanks. Share some words of thanks with somebody today. It will not only bring them joy, but you joy. Anybody need a little joy in the house today? Anybody think our world needs a little bit of joy right now? A little bit of restoration and joy? Then let's give thanks. I love what Proverbs 15 and 15 says in the Passion Translation. It says this, Everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. But when you choose to be cheerful, every day will bring you more and more joy and fullness. I love how pastor always says that thankful people are happy people. I love the word in this translation that says, but. He says, when things go wrong and you feel weak and depressed, but. If my daughter was in here, I would need to make sure. She's so literal. I got to make sure she knows it's B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. So he says, when things are hard, I want you to notice something. There's a but here. He's saying, nevertheless, in spite of, in the midst of things being hard, in the midst of your depression and your weak and your soul that is in anguish and in pain, choose to look around and be full of cheer. That can be really difficult. Can I get an amen? Anybody agree with me? That can be difficult today. But I want to know that we, what want us to know that we often, and I discovered this about myself, I often find what I'm looking for. I can go out on a, a night on the town with my bae over here, and um, my wife's like, and um, we can go out a night on town, and we can go to a restaurant, and you know what can happen? I can, I can find everything wrong with that the waiter does. Or I can think of everything and notice everything right that the waiter does. Now, this is not a conversation of is there wrong things that the waiter does. It's just a question of can you see the good things that the waiter is doing in the midst of the bad? And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, when you look around, I'm not telling you to put your head in the sand and say that there's nothing bad going on. I'm just saying that when you look around, can you look through my eyes and see good? So here's the application for us. Here, here is the practical application for you and I. When you, when you look around, what are you thankful for? When you look around, who are you thankful for? And as you think it, say it. As you think it, don't let it be hidden in your heart. As you think it, don't be, let it be hidden in your mind. Let it out of your mouth. Let it out of your words. Say thank you to your loved ones. Sit down with them and tell them thank you. I appreciate you. And that's what Paul did. Paul's like, Paul is in prison. He's looking around. And prison is not a good place to be for the believers. And he's, he's writing a letter to, to his Philippian church. And he's saying, thank you. I thank God for you. What else can we learn from Paul? We can learn this from Paul that prayer brings joy. Prayer brings joy. You know, um, uh, 
pastor and our staff, we want to first of all say thank you to so many of you guys who joined us last week in our week of prayer. Whether you were here on campus or whether you were praying with us online, thank you so much. And did you experience a little bit of joy when you prayed? Paul says this, he says, when I pray for you, it is my source of joy. When I stop and I look around and I see difficult things, not only do I thank God for the good, but I also pray for what I see around me, and I pray for the difficult things that I see. And as I pray and I pour my heart out at the suffering I see around me, my heart is filled with joy because my prayer is my source of joy. What is Paul asking from us? Paul is saying, let out your words of prayer. Let them out. Say it. Prayer is a conversation Um, there's something really interesting that I've been learning lately about prayer and about talking to God. We know that prayer's a conversation. Um, It's a conversation of your words to him and his words to you. One of the ways that he speaks back to us is is, uh, I don't often hear him audibly. I I don't know very many people who have, but I, I hear a lot of people say, I felt an impression in my heart. Well, that impression you probably feel is because you have read the written word and you know what God thinks and what he has to say about things. So one of the greatest ways for you to have a good prayer conversation with the Father is by storing up the word, the written word, in your heart. And so what I have learned is that I go to the word not to be a good Christian, not because it makes God love me, not because it pleases him, but I go to the word to discover how much I already am loved and how pleased he already is with me and how pleased he already is with the word and how desperate he is to reconcile himself to the word, world. That's why I go to the world, the word. And so when it's stored up in my heart and I begin to have a prayer conversation with me, He speaks back to me all the things I know about him in the word that I have read about him. Have you ever wondered what God would say to you or say to the world about a certain situation? Have you ever wondered what God thinks about our world and our time today? You might wonder why things are happening, but you will never wonder what he's thinking because you just go to the word and you read about it and you see his passionate love for people. So when the word is stored up in you, you will always know what God is thinking and what God is up to. It is not a secret. The mystery has been revealed to us. There is no more mystery. The mystery is Jesus Christ revealed. Reconciliation for all men and all people in Christ. I began to realize that in the same way that prayer, in the same way that reading the Bible is more for me than it is for God, I realized that my prayer time is also more for me than it is for God. Let me explain to you. God loves the world more than we can ever imagine. Did you know that? He is not waiting on you to pray to move. He's not dependent upon you. He is almighty, all-powerful God. Now, I, be, I may be rubbing up against some prayer theologies, and that's not what I'm trying to do. It's important for us to pray, but here's what I've learned about prayer. Prayer is more for me than it is for him because I realize this, that, that when I pray, my faith is encouraged because I always start my prayers off oftentimes with declaring who God is. We see that in the Lord's Prayer as an example. You guys have heard that so many times. Do we have to start our prayer time off like that because God is insecure? 
Do we have to start our prayer time off like that because God forgot who he was? That we need to remind him and that every time his children pray throughout the day, he needs millions and millions and millions of believers around the world to keep telling him who he is because he's so insecure? No. That's not why we start our prayer time off like that. We start our prayer time off like that to remind us of who he is every time. I come to prayer to remind myself of how incredible the God that I serve is. I come to prayer to remind myself that he's the reconciler of the world. I come to prayer to remind myself that he's the all-time provider, that he is my strong tower. I come to prayer to remind myself that, that when I'm working, he's working. But also, when I'm resting and I'm not working, guess what? He's still working. He doesn't need to remind me to remind him of who he is. I remind myself of who he is. And I do that in declaring who he is. It reminds us of the kind of rock that we stand on. Come on, church. Are we the church? Are we being shaken right now? No, the church is standing strong, standing firm. Open your eyes. You see the bad, but look around and look at the good. The church is strong. I want to tell you, it reminds us also of the kind of God that we serve and the fact that he's faithful and that he is full of grace and full of truth. It reminds me of the fact that when I pray that there's good news in the midst of bad news. You know, did you know that when we don't come to the word, we have this natural thing about us that that we naturally drift back towards natural things. We naturally drift back towards the flesh and the behaviors of the flesh. So we need the gospel. We need the good news. We need to be reading it. We need to be praying it. We need our minds saturated with it. We need to be thinking about it because we have a natural drift back to laws, rules, and regulation. And we know that laws, rules, and regulation don't bring reconciliation to the world. Jesus does. This is the hope of the gospel. Notice that Paul didn't pray to God in heaven for the Philippians and just leave it there. We see that he prayed, and then what did he do when he was done praying? He wrote it down, and he sent the encouragement off. It is not good enough for us to just say thankful things to God and to pray to God and stop there and not call a brother or a sister or a friend or a loved one or a neighbor or a mom or a dad or a coworker and say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you and I want to encourage you today. We've got to get face to face and we've got to use our words. Why? Because being a believer is about being in a family. That's what the new commandment was all about when the commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what loving our neighbor is all about. It is about face to face because I want us to know something. And I know you know this, but loving our neighbor is worship. That is the worship of the new covenant. The Old Testament Jews were so focused on bringing their sacrifices, coming to the temple, and yes, coming to church and hearing the word is part of how we love God and part of how we worship. But Jesus came and he said this, I want you to know that there's a new kind of worship, somebody. It ain't about rules and relationships and, and building, or rules and buildings and laws. It's about relationships. And loving people is worshiping God. What was his encouragement to the Philippian church? 
He said this, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He was saying, Philippian church, I want you to know something. I want you to know that it's hard for me here. It's hard for you there. But I want you to know we need to have joy and we need to pray for one another. And we need to be encouraged that there's, there's one thing that we stand on and it is Jesus. And he who started this work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. So don't worry that I'm not with you as your leader. Don't worry that you don't have my leadership with you present among you. You don't have my teaching. Don't worry that you don't have those things because it was never about me. It was always about him and he will finish what he started in you. Here's the practical application. Let's pause and look around like Paul did in his prison cell right now. In the midst of what you see in your world today, what do you think can use a little prayer? Where where are your points of discouragement? Where do you look and you see sorrow? Where do you look and have a sense of hopelessness? Where do you look and wonder, where is God in that? Where are you looking and going, why is there so much pain there, God? I want to encourage us, church, to stop, pause, pray, and encourage. When we do that, Paul says, that is our source of joy. That is our source of joy. What do you see when you look around? Who do you see that you need to pray for? Who do you see that you need to stop and encourage? Paul is encouraging us. Not only do we let our words of prayer out, but he says, let out your lament. Let out your lament. Do you know that it's okay to lament? In America, we don't love lamenting too much um, because we pride ourselves on being strong and moving forward and conquering and getting to the next thing and doing the next thing and being successful and being on top. We don't like lamenting because lamenting feels like you're on the bottom. Have you ever lost a loved one? Have you ever lost a job and you you feel like you're on the bottom? Nobody likes to be on the bottom. But it's not healthy to not lament when you're on the bottom. You gotta let out the words. David tells us in Psalms 30, he says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you might weep every night, but I want you to know that joy will come every morning when you let out your lament and you weep. Don't put a time limit on grief and lament. Every time you feel it, you've got to let it out and know that joy is going to come in the morning. This lets us know that we don't have to ignore pain and suffering. That's not what it's like to be a person full of faith. You don't, being full of faith is not sticking your head in the sand and pretending like everything's okay. It's acknowledging and looking around and recognizing the suffering on this earth, but also in the midst of it, recognizing our desperate need for a savior and our desperate need for a comforter and our desperate need for a peaceful one. We've got to let out a cry because it's hard to heal unless we feel. It's really hard to heal if you don't stop and take time to feel. Pain is usually the indicator that something is not right. It's a, it's a natural way that God has made us. But how many know that for every natural thing, there is a spiritual thing, a spiritual law in place for every natural law? Pain in our physical body lets us know something's wrong. It's broken. Get a doctor. Pain in our soul, pain in our heart, lets us know that there's something very spiritually wrong and that we need a healer. 
The human body was meant to take in and to release. That's why we have to lament. It was not meant to take in and hold and implode. It was meant to take in, weep for a night, and release. I don't think we have a natural disposition to lament. In fact, I think some people may feel like it shows a lack of faith, but I believe that it shows our ability to just be fully aware of the fallenness of humanity and fully aware of the gift of God. I gotta remember that I am more like Jesus when I lament and I pour out than when I'm not lamenting and not pouring out. I want to make something clear before we cruise into our next point. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when we talk about, like we're talking about prayer and thankfulness and then joy comes as the source of those things, I don't want you to think that God is holding back joy from your life because you're not thankful and you're not prayerful. <laughs> because you have him. He lives in your heart. His joy is in your heart. This is not like hocus pocus, let's go get this from God. I'll be thankful, he'll give me joy. I'll pray, he'll give me joy. No, that's not the God. The God doesn't play games with you like that. He comes in you as a person of joy and fills your soul. So he is there. But here's what I want you to take note about this. It's possible for you to be a believer and not be living under the fountain of joy. You can be a family member sitting off on the sidelines while the rest of your family is sitting at the table eating a meal and laughing and playing games and being full of joy together but you just didn't pull a seat up to the table. That's what it's like to be prayerful and joyful. It's like pulling up a seat to the table in the life of Christ. That is what I would wanna call participating in the life of Christ. If you don't pray and you don't lament and you don't thank God and use your words to thank and love your neighbor, you're not participating in the life of Christ very well. What can we learn from Paul as we are looking at uh, these first few verses of chapter one? We can learn that thankfulness brings joy and peace brings joy. Um, Paul said this, he says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. There's something else I wanna share with you this morning and it's kind of interesting. We're actually, we're running out of time, so I hope I get to it. Who, who, who would have thought I couldn't get to through three points? My wife thought that, she, she knew that. Um, <clears throat> But uh, I couldn't figure out how to fit this in the message in a nice alliterated form, so I didn't. So here's a little nugget. Um, when we tap a little bit further into this word joy, if we dig a little bit more into this word joy, we're gonna notice something about this word. The word kara, which means joy, the root word for the word kara, joy, is the word czar. And this word, X-A-R, this, this word means extended favor, to be esteemed or shown unusual kindness. I want you to just think about this with me for a minute. There's another word picture that is given here with extended favor or extended esteem or extended kindness. It's this word picture that says this, to lean, to lean. I want you to think about this for a minute. As we look at this full definition, Paul is saying this, my heart is leaning towards you. My heart has a special 
extended favor towards you. I don't know why, but it feels towards you with an extended favor. And and I want to extend some unusual amounts of kindness to you. And I'm going to thank God for you and pray for you. And while I do this and participate in the life of Christ by praying and encouraging and allowing my heart to lean towards you, it is my source of joy. As I was studying this this last week and praying, the, the Holy Spirit just stopped me in my tracks. And he just, he hit me with a ton of bricks. And he said, Sean, here's your revelation about this word. He said, Sean, your heart doesn't lean on its own. Our heart doesn't lean on its own. Church, our heart doesn't lean on its own. When we begin to pray and consider and, and there's a special favor shining down on a person or a people group or a nation, it's not because of the goodness of humanity. It is not because of the goodness of man. It is because the goodness of God inside of you that is at work transforming and changing the heart of man. And your heart begins to lean in ways that it never leaned before. And as it leans, joy comes because restoration will come as it leans. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where is your heart leaning today? If it is not leaning towards, it is leaning away. Because God's heart always leans towards. We must be careful not to mistake in God with our politics and our worldview. Why? Because, well, we see throughout history that the religious Jews had a worldview and they had the politics. And it formed how they loved people, and they mistaken that for God's view. We see that the Roman government at the time of the New Testament, they had a worldview, and it was built on pride and authority and had nothing to do with God. The New Covenant Church had a different worldview. Number three in your notes. The New Covenant Church's worldview was a gospel view. Our worldview must be a gospel view. We must be able to separate politics and religion and put on a gospel view if we ever want to see reconciliation in our world. Paul says this, he says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. He's saying, guys, you've been so committed to this gospel. You've been spreading it. So while I'm away in jail, don't quit. Don't give up on your gospel view. Keep preaching the word. Keep loving. Keep letting your heart lean towards in ways that you had never leaned before. Let him lean your heart. And as you lean your heart, joy will come. Today, Paul is saying, let out your words of love. Without the gospel, you have no words of love to give. (laughs) He is the author of love. He is the definer of love. He is the picture of love. We need a spiritual healer today, and his name is Jesus. And when I look around, I know most of you serve him. So we have him. There's hope. 
there's hope.